No one has ever done anything like this. That's why it's going to work. I rewatched the original Matrix trilogy in preparation for The Matrix Resurrections with every plan of writing about my experience. But to be entirely honest, I'm getting cold feet. Mostly because all my friends think the films following the original, The Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions were weak sequels and the new fourth entry shouldn't have been made at all. And maybe they're right. There is no end to the negativity I've seen surrounding that film, but we're going to set that one aside for today. When I returned to the films, I had an idea of what I wanted to write about beforehand, but it had also been about seven years since I watched the trilogy last, and I needed a refresher. Now, after revisiting Zion, I didn't return with exactly the thoughts I expected to. You see, it's a fairly common opinion that the original Matrix film is by far the best of the trilogy, and I agree. Strictly as a film, it hits all the right spots in all the right ways. That said, I really love a lot of what the sequels had to offer. And maybe that's just my inner nerd coming out. Maybe that's not so objective, and maybe I just love the story the trilogy tells and the lore it builds. I think that's okay. That said, when I hear people criticize the second and third film, I often hear small instances and plot decisions cited as the reason for their downfall. But I want to dig a little deeper today and take a look at the structural storytelling reasons the second and third film don't work like the first one. Because in all seriousness, I really like the story this trilogy tells. But if I'm honest with myself, it could have been told better. So I want to make the argument that the Matrix trilogy is a great story. I want to pose a case for why the Wachowskis had a fantastic vision and why it was important that they saw it through in the way that they did, because I truly believe that is the case. That said, I believe the critical faults of the sequel films spawn entirely from issues that could have been fixed had the script received a little more pruning and more content left on the cutting room floor. So yeah. I'm Alex Courtright, and I love The Matrix. I'm going to talk about something I love for a while. So if you're all in, sit back, take a breath, and I hope you feel something. This is The Matrix and the weight of ambition. And before we get too deep, I just want to say thank you guys for being here. Thank you for checking out this video. And if you enjoy content like this, hit that like button and feel free to subscribe to the channel. It really helps me out a lot over here. So thanks. When The Matrix came out in 1999, it changed everything. From iconic action sequences to cutting edge special effects, to infinitely quotable dialogue, to larger than life characters, to a perfectly portioned and digestible dose of thought provoking philosophy and escapism. Frankly, there are so many reasons this movie just clicks both with critics and viewers that it would take forever to go in depth on all of them here. I'm not naive enough to say The Matrix was wholly unique though. It took blatant and often heavy-handed inspirations from a variety of sources, but that's what makes it special. While none of its ideas are particularly original, the special blend it provided was pretty novel in 1999. Sure, William Gibson's Neuromancer laid the groundwork for much of the premise, and there are strong Ghost in the Shell vibes everywhere. You can even find similarities to various Philip K. Dick stories. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But has anyone ever blended speculative fiction, cyberpunk, Hong Kong kung fu choreography, envelope-pushing American blockbuster action sequences, and revolutionary special effects, while somehow maintaining beautiful plotting, pacing, mystery, and tension, all culminating with a unique and satisfying climax that moviegoers would remember for decades to come? Okay. 
Maybe a few, but you get my point. Now put yourself in the Wachowski's shoes for a moment. How the hell do you follow that film? No, like seriously, where do you go from there? Now I'm not going to make the case that it's impossible to top the original Matrix or follow up with films far better than what we got, but I do think it's important to acknowledge the pressure these directors were under. More than 20 years later, the film still holds up, and I've never really met anyone that doesn't remember it fondly. Not just fondly though, most remember the film as an iconic pillar of its time. That said, the following films have never managed to come even close to the critical reception the first one did. There are clinical reasons for this and subjective ones. So let's start with the neat and clean assessment. The first film is full of mystery. Up until the final act begins, the scenes heap question upon question on the viewer, coaxing us to follow the white rabbit down the dark tunnel to find out what's on the other side. This mystery spurs the viewer on, but that's not all. Tension defines this film. It's important to note because this is a specific pillar of writing that the following films stumbled with. From the moment the movie begins, it beckons you to the edge of your seat. You see, the viewer doesn't know what Neo, Morpheus, or Trinity are capable of. So when we're introduced to Trinity through her iconic opening chase scene, the tension is real. We don't know who this woman is, what she can do, or if she's going to survive. And when she does survive, we're left with questions as to how. How is she able to break natural laws and disappear into a phone booth? Who is she? What's going on? This is a thread the viewer must pull from the beginning to the end. But that's the thing, the viewer doesn't follow the thread alone. Neo is us. Using a main viewpoint character in this way isn't uncommon. Neo often serves as a blank slate, simply asking the questions so the viewers can get their answers. But a story like this requires it. On top of this mystery and tension pulling the viewer along, the film is tight. Like, what else can you say? It's perfectly paced. It has the perfect set piece to dialogue scene ratio. And while full of exposition, the exposition is only natural because Neo really needs to know things. And we as viewers aren't bothered by the constant exposition dumps because there's an urgency to them. We get the answers we're begging for, but they drip from the faucet one at a time while surrounding tension pulls us from scene to scene. Wrap all this up with compelling main characters like Trinity and Morpheus, flanked by lovable auxiliary characters like Hank and Dozer, an iconic villain, a strong by-the-book relationship and conflict building, and you've got a near-perfect film. The Wachowskis just didn't miss. But it's easy to see how this lightning in a bottle might be hard to contain. Making a film this unique to its time, this riveting, this tight, this relatable, it's not something you simply replicate. But let's go back to that last adjective, relatable. Because I just outlined a few of the many reasons the film works on a technical level. But I think there's a deeper, more nebulous reason the film resonates with viewers. Not just as a standalone, but in relation to the subsequent films. And it has to do with how the story affects the viewer personally. You see, The Matrix is a high-concept film, which can easily lose a casual audience, but it's bathed in a grounded world to a degree that the viewer can still feel comfortable. As the story continues, the carpet is carefully pulled from under you until the escapism is palpable. While the story at its heart is very alien, high-concept, speculative science fiction, it's grounded in one of the most relatable situations to the average American. The Matrix asks a single question that we can never stop wondering the answer to. 
Even to this day, scientists, billionaires, and philosophers can't stop asking it. And here it is. What if there's something more? We all want to believe we're oppressed by something, and we all are to some degree. Neo sits in an office at a day job he hates, where he wastes away the hours as the clock ticks by. His life holds little meaning. He's depressed and uninspired as his uneventful, typical life unfolds to reveal nothing of worth. But the Matrix tells us there could be more. It beckons us to be brave and take the red pill, to swallow the truth even if it hurts, because the truth will set you free. We graft ourselves onto Neo and long to be set free from the slavery of our desk jobs, to take up the torch and lead an army against our oppressor. This need is subconscious even. We see it in everyday life. It starts wars and ends them on all levels all the time. And to put the cherry on top, the Matrix tells us that Neo, this special, cool, talented main character we've projected ourselves onto, is not only special, He's the one. This ominous term meant to inspire wonder. We call forth the prophecy and find that Neo, our avatar, isn't just breaking out of the prison that held him. He's also the savior of mankind. It's a hell of a hero's journey and one we all subconsciously relate to or yearn to experience. We live vicariously through Neo. And this isn't a novel concept. Stories since the beginning of time have induced readers and viewers to live vicariously through the main character. It's just that The Matrix does this so well and pinpoints the deepest desire of many here in the US. <sighs> so where am I going with all this? Well, The Matrix did all this in one film, but opened an ominous door to many more. Neo's story didn't end with the first film, but to many viewers, they got enough. There was always more to tell, but to go any further, the tale was going to go deeper and get weirder. It was going to depart further and further from the world we know and follow rabbits to stranger places. Once you have a movie like The Matrix, the next one needs to be bigger and better. It has to take the things people supposedly liked about the first one and multiply. That means more kung fu, more dazzling and pretentious philosophy, and more sick trench coats. But it turns out things may have gotten a little too strange. That said, we have to step back and return to the tenets of writing. Story structure, character, and all that. Because the problem is, well, there are a lot of problems with the Matrix sequels, and it's not just the direction the Wachowskis took things. Aside from creative decisions, the following films simply aren't as tight as the first one. Where the first movie sets the viewer on a racing train from scene one, The Matrix Reloaded takes like 45 minutes just to figure out what it's about, where Neo needs to go, and what he wants to achieve. The tension just isn't there for a long time. It meanders, and when the tension attempts to return, we don't feel it because we frankly know too much by now. In the first film, the mechanics of what's possible in the Matrix are a mystery. We slowly figure it out and discover, along with Neo, what he's actually capable of. By the second film, after seeing Neo essentially peak, stopping bullets, slowing time, defying gravity, and even flying, we now know going into every single fight sequence just how invincible he is, which guts the tension from every supposedly tense sequence he takes part in and leaves a mere husk of flashy, expertly choreographed kung fu. But that's all it is. Now, there are ways the Wachowskis could have avoided this and still kept Neo's superpowers, but they simply didn't. 
This wouldn't be the larger fault that it is if there weren't so many dang fight sequences. But that brings us to the next point. The action set pieces of The Matrix Reloaded are awesome. There's no other way to put it, but they do become less awesome once milked to kingdom come. Nearly every sequence goes on too long, and there are maybe too, too many of them to begin with. The Neo vs. 1000 Smiths scene is a monument to action choreography, at least for the first few minutes, but it never ends. It gets more absurd with each passing moment and relies more and more on CGI that honestly hasn't held up. If the fight simply ended at half the length it is today, I think we'd look back on it fondly, but now, most simply remember the PlayStation 2 level fully rendered CGI stunts that are not only unrealistic, but look too rubbery to suspend disbelief. Take Neo's face-off with the Merovingian's henchmen as another example, an epic scene beautifully choreographed that's unfortunately muddled by overstaying its welcome and an extreme lack of any real tension as Neo effortlessly mows through every adversary. Now, I want to make it clear, I'm not simply criticizing Neo's power levels. I love extreme power levels like this, but they're tricky to pull off in one film, and many writers struggle to know what to do with them in sequels. That doesn't mean they can't be done properly, though. In fact, I wrote a whole essay on the topic a long time ago called How to Write an Invincible Character. Hey, check it out after this if you like. It's on my channel, and you might find it interesting. Anyway, the problem isn't Neo's power levels, but the struggle to find and keep tension required to inspire viewers to the edge of their seats. This problem is multiplied when you move to the next issue that plagues arguably all three films, the exposition. This issue is prevalent in the first film, but easily overlooked because the tension is created elsewhere and the viewer remains on their toes eager to unlock the next mystery. But that isn't the case with The Matrix Reloaded, because in this film, the tension doesn't appear elsewhere. Many of the dialogue scenes exist only to dump exposition onto the viewer. This problem intensifies when the plot the Wachowskis are trying to explain has become loftier, more complex, and to some viewers, pretentious. The plot gets lost in melodramatic philosophy. And I'll be honest, I don't mind it. Sure, it could have been handled better, but the plot interests me enough on its own that I don't fall off the bandwagon. That can't be said for everyone though. The trilogy's underlying plot can be hard to follow sometimes, and layering everything in philosophical, speculative jargon doesn't help. This is a major reason why I believe the first film resonates so well with audiences where the sequels get lost. They grow increasingly less relatable. In Reloaded, Neo constantly walks into a room and stands silently while characters explain things to him. But they're not just explaining to him, they're explaining to the viewer. The same as the original film, but now we care less about the answers we're getting and they grow harder to wrap our heads around. There's very little tension to these scenes, which makes them feel like info dumps. I'm hesitant to call it simply lazy writing, but well, there, I said it. I think the Wachowskis were so fixated on other elements of the films that scenes like these didn't get the attention they deserved. And let's be honest, there are plenty of them. Neo speaks with the Oracle, the Merovingian rambles, the Architect explains everything. Should I go on? That takes me back to one of my first points though. I'm going to be entirely honest and subjective here. I love The Matrix Reloaded. I think it's an awesome film. It's tailor-made for me, but I can't let that blind the analysis despite how I want it to. I forgive many faults in the sequels because, frankly, I love the concept, the sci-fi world, the trench coats, the excessive kung fu. Even though I find several faults with the trilogy, I forgive so many because I've spent years studying books and films. I've written several of my own that are tucked away in the closet. I have an inkling of how hard it is to do what the Wachowskis did. 
I can sympathize with the tall task that stood before them when it came to writing sequels, and I honestly can't imagine the pressure they were under. Movies are complicated beasts. It's incredibly hard to make a good film that doesn't attempt to break new ground like The Matrix does. So add up all the logistical and conceptual hurdles before them and it honestly seems like a suicide mission. And maybe it was. Maybe they didn't make it back. A lot of viewers today seem to think so. Many never finished the trilogy and it's not often I find anyone that truly loves the sequels. I'll admit, it's a little lonely in this boat. When it comes to the third film, The Matrix Revolutions, I think they had already taken a step too far. It's evident they tried to curb some of the issues from the second film, but it was too little too late. The film balances action sequences far better in my opinion from the second, but also shies away from the philosophical ponderings that make the series so interesting. Like they grew self-conscious of how pretentious they sounded. So while the third film has its strengths and fixes some of the structural issues from Reloaded, I have to admit it feels a little empty. I love the story, I like how it ends. I like the questions it asks, but frankly, the third film is light on both questions and answers. Neo's character arc found its way again after getting lost in the second film, but it might be too late. The film is a train careening down tracks, racing to its destination with lots of gunfire and some sick kung fu. I don't hate that either, but I think things had already gotten too out of hand. The pace is better, the structure is better, hell, even some of the first film's tension is back in the third, but it doesn't seem to have amounted to enough to earn a place beside the first. And it's true, the film doesn't deserve it. That said, I love it anyway. I love Neo and Trinity's story. I would have hopped right on the Nebuchadnezzar and followed Morpheus too. Maybe that's the fanboy in me talking and not the critic. But what I hate to hear every time the series gets brought up is writing off the sequels, because I think they're more than that. I think their shining moments are worth more than their weaknesses, and I think their story was worth telling. You see, I love big ideas. Maybe it's the sci-fi fantasy nerd in me that's willing to overlook a lot simply for the wonder I get from lofty concepts, but I think big ideas are worth a lot. It's true, the Matrix trilogy could have been better, but I don't think that means it wasn't good, or great even. I think the real question is on the value of big ideas. They cost a lot and weigh just as much. Did the Wachowskis collapse under the weight of their own ambition or remain standing, albeit with shaking knees and sweat dripping? I think I'd rather have a flawed Matrix with ambitions on the moon than a safe but competent film. Maybe I'm going too far, but I think it was a massive undertaking to create the flawed Matrix trilogy we got, and I guess I'm just thankful we got them. I'm not saying we should forgive the flaws in films, but I think sometimes art is about more than check marks on a film critic's notepad. It's about what makes us think, how we get lost searching for the answers to the questions the story asked, the experience we had while watching, the memories we keep. People don't remember safe films. They might enjoy them. They might give 8 out of 10 stars on Rotten Tomatoes, but they don't remember them. I remember The Matrix. Take that for whatever it's worth. Have a good night.